Z. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash Radio. Our guests today joining us are Katarina Onetto, Paul Feuerstadt, and Kathy Bischoff. Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt will be discussing updates on abstracts covering C. difficile infection presented from Digestive Disease Week 2018 in Washington, D.C., along with some exciting active and ongoing clinical trials. Kathy Bischoff will be joining us later on today's program to discuss the importance of participating in clinical trials. At this time, I would like to welcome our guests to the program. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thank Thank you you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. And Dr. Onetto, I'm going to um, ask you the first question, and that's why don't we start by discussing what Digestive Disease Week is? Mm-hmm. Digestive Disease Week actually used to be a whole week. Now it's a little bit of a shorter meeting, but it's a very large meeting. It's a huge meeting international. People come from all over the world uh, to this meeting that, uh, that um, is held in different cities throughout the United States, and it happens only once a year, and it's a big opportunity for uh, researchers and clinicians to present their um, trials and their experience, and there's tremendous exchange of knowledge and experience there, and also uh, it's a social event. People who maybe did their training together at some point and they work in very different places get to see each other and sort of exchange, uh, you know, stories. So it's a pretty good meeting. We just had it a few weeks yes, ago. It, it's really a, a very active event. It's a, a congruence, a, a gathering of international thought leaders um, and clinicians who exchange their ideas and their research. Research is presented either in an oral form at formal presentations with moderators or in poster form, which is a little bit less formal of a session where individuals will walk around and ask questions of the researchers who are standing by the posters and also industry is present. So it's really what I consider to be the Super Bowl of, of GI meetings in terms of who's there and the amount of exchange of ideas that happens. It's a very exciting time of year for, for most gastroenterologists to attend. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for giving an overview of the conference. It sounds wonderful. And Dr. Feuerstadt, was there any new information presented regarding the epidemiology of a C. difficile infection? Yes, Nancy. There was actually a couple of really, I thought, impactful studies that were presented at Digestive Disease Week this year. One of them was a study that was presented from Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, Canada, by Nugent et al. And the Nugent study group previously identified one of the flaws with the, with the epidemiologic studies that we've been conducting previously, which is broader epidemiology studies usually use ICD-9 or ICD-10 codes. These are codes that are used to bill with for diagnostic purposes. But what that study group identified was that about approximately 30% 
of laboratory-confirmed cases of C. difficile infection in hospitals were not identified under an ICD-9 or ICD-10 code. So what they did in their study that they presented is they used a population-based data set of laboratory-confirmed cases in the Manitoba Health Public System. They looked from 2005 to 25, to March of 2015, and overall, they found that the age-standardized rate of C. difficile, where they normalized the ages, decreased from 112 per 100,000 to 78 per 100,000. And interestingly, the hospital-acquired C. difficile infections decreased with no significant change in community-acquired infection. Also, there was no significant decrease in rates of recurrent infections, but the median age of acquiring the infection decreased over time. So to hash out the weeds of what I just said, what we're observing is that there is a decrease in hospital-acquired infections, and the reason that that's important is that we've been working so hard to decrease hospital-acquired infection because it is associated with an increased risk of recurrence and a remarkable increased risk of 30-day or short-term mortality compared with community-associated infections. Unfortunately, community-associated infections remained fairly level. In addition, the median age of patients getting C. difficile seems to be decreasing, at least in this Canadian population. And that's interesting also because a younger population usually is associated with less severe outcomes. So we're possibly seeing a shift as a result of some of the modifiable factors in terms of healthcare-associated infection that we've been working so hard to, to modify and, and improve. Another study that, that looked at C. difficile infection from an epidemiologic standpoint looked at those individuals with inflammatory bowel disease. Inflammatory bowel disease, of course, includes Crohn's disease as well as ulcerative colitis. And this is a study that emanated from Belgium. The hypothesis behind the study was an interesting one. It said that we know that patients with inflammatory bowel disease are at increased risk of incidence of C. difficile infection. However, over the last 15 to 20 years, we've been using more aggressive therapies to treat inflammatory bowel disease, specifically things like adalimumab or Humira or infliximab, Remicade, in addition to 6-mercaptopurine. Plainly stated, these are medications that blunt our inflammatory response and also can blunt our immune system. So the theory behind this study was that over the time where we've used more of these biological agents and more of these potent medications to treat inflammatory bowel disease in a susceptible population already, those with inflammatory bowel disease at baseline, those individuals probably would be at increased risk for worse outcomes and an increased incidence of the infection. And in this study, they looked from 2000 to 2017 at 220 patients. Of those 220 patients within their healthcare system, 22.3% had inflammatory bowel disease. Those with inflammatory bowel disease tended to be younger, had less cardiovascular comorbidity, had fewer hospitalizations prior to presentation with C. difficile, and also had less antimicrobial use prior to the presentation. In addition, there was no difference in the treatment. They were equally treated with metronidazole and vancomycin, those with and without inflammatory bowel disease. And there was also no difference in recurrence rates. Interestingly enough, though, the one-year mortality was lower in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. It was about 4% versus 56% in the non-inflammatory bowel disease population. So why is this interesting and important? What this really speaks to is, firstly, that despite us using 
stronger and more potent medications to treat inflammatory bowel disease, there was no increase in the incidence of the infection. It actually remained relatively level, despite the incidence in the general population nearly doubling during that time frame. In addition, the underlying inflammatory bowel disease seems to stand alone as a risk factor for the infection. These patients had less hospitalizations, less prior antibiotic use, which are two major risk factors for acquisition of the infection in the first place. So really, as a clinician, when I approach a patient with inflammatory bowel disease that has diarrhea, it's very important to check a C. difficile assay, but also contextualize that that patient is at remarkably increased risk of getting the infection despite not having other risk factors. That's amazing. Wonderful information, Dr. Forrester. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. And Dr. Onetto, were there any other studies that provided insights into the C. diff infections, persistence or recurrence? Sure. Uh, as, as you know, Nancy, a C. diff infection is a very challenging problem in healthcare, and not only because it can result in complications like dehydration, uh, many hospitalizations, sometimes even colectomy, surgery, but also because it tends to be a recurrent infection. And there has been this, this study that was uh, presented at DDW um, from Mayo Clinic was a retrospective study that tried to figure out whether our current definition of a recurrence is correct or not. And this is something that I'm sure will be debated for a long time, but essentially our standard definition today to say that somebody has recurrency diff is that the infection comes back somewhere between 14 and 56 days from the index infection, meaning from the initial infection. So after that, after the 56 days, we don't consider that a recurrence of the initial infection, but a separate infection. And what this trial did was showing that of all the recurrences that occurred within the trial, and they took a, a, a total, the number, the total number of patients was over 25,000 patients, and of those patients, about 7,700 um, had recurrences. Of all those patients, about two-thirds recurred in that short time frame, time frame, in the first 56 days, but almost a third recurred after that. Um, between 56 days and a year after. And so it might be necessary maybe to revisit this uh, standard definition of recurrent C. diff, and this would have implications, of course, for the treatment of these patients. Okay. And Dr. Onetto is, so in other words, after a patient has had a recurrence 14 to 56 days from the initial onset of a C. diff infection, if there is a year in between, would that be, be considered a whole new infection? Right now, it would be. Right now, it would be. And I, I don't know, it, it's, it's a complicated topic because one would have to also confirm that the actual infectious agent, the actual C. diff, is exactly the same one to say that it's a recurrence. So this study is only um, a retrospective study, so it doesn't give us all the information that maybe we would want to have. But um, I don't know if Dr. Foyer said, what, what, what's your feeling about this potential so redefinition of recurrence? One of the biggest issues that we have with C. difficile infection, of course, is recurrence because it's estimated that that about 25% or one in four patients that or vancomycin will recur. The problem is that there's no universally accepted follow-up period for recurrency difficile. In the landmark trial looking at fidaxomycin, the follow-up period was 28 days for recurrence, and that was criticized, saying it was too short. In other trials, they used two months, 
In other trials, they use three months. It's typically accepted that a three-month time period for recurrence is the most conservative that we have now. And Dr. Onetto had alluded to this before, but what makes this important is if a patient gets several episodes of C. difficile and gets rid of it and then doesn't have symptoms for 12 months and then presents again, those individuals, in theory, should start with de novo treatment as if they're having a new episode. The problem is that we don't have the testing methodology to isolate the specific strain that the patient has. So we will never know whether it's a repeat of the same episode or whether it's a new infection. But what I would say is by a rule of thumb, even understanding what this study presented is that any patient that presents greater than three months or four months after completion of therapy that was successful, those individuals probably should be treated with a de novo or a new treatment starting from square one as this being their initial episode. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt for sharing this information with our global listeners. We're going to pause for a commercial break at this time. When we return, we will continue discussing C. diff infection data, Digestive Disease Week 2018, and current clinical trials with our guests, Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt. Stay tuned, and we will return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org and we'll see you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. 
For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to our program, and we thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guests, Dr. Katarina Onetto and Dr. Paul Feuerstadt, joining us today to discuss C. diff infection data, Digestive Disease Week 2018, and current clinical trials. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for being here. And Dr. Onetto, were there any important studies considering medical treatments of C. difficile infections? Absolutely. We were just talking uh, before the break about this issue of recurrence in C. diff. So what that means is that many times it's not enough to take one course of treatment, but patients will, after that maybe successful uh, treatment, will have a recurrence. And that leads us to uh, using vancomycin, one of the main antibiotics used for C. diff, uh, we're using different protocols that are not simply 10 days of the same dose all the time, but what we call tapering and pulsing, meaning tapering, a tapered dosing of, of vancomycin is defined as any regimen in which the vancomycin dose is being reduced over time. And pulse is defined by a dose regimen where the drug is given sometimes less frequently than daily. And so there are essentially three ways of giving vancomycin uh, under these protocols. And they're always more prolonged protocols. They're not 10 or 14 days of vancomycin. There's uh, several weeks. But one way is to do this tapering method where the dose is being gradually reduced. The other one is pulsing where some days are skipped at the end of this regimen. And the third option is to do both, to do first a reduction in dosing and then skipping days, um, what's called taper and uh, pulse regimen. And what this meta-analysis did, and meta-analysis is, in, is taking a lot of different trials and trying to take all that information together and through statistical methods, try to gather as much information as possible. Now, meta-analysis have their limitations. Of course, one of them is that different trials use different methodology, but uh, they put together a lot of information from different trials, trying to compare these three options, taper, pulse, and taper and pulse. And the taper and pulse mean the combination of both things, the reduction of the dose and also skipping days at the end, doing every other day or every two days or every three days vancomycin. The combination of both seem to be superior to either one of the two other options. So taper pulse seems to be superior, but again, one has to remember the limitations of meta-analysis. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Onetto. And Dr. Firostat, was there anything new presented with regards to fecal microbiota transplantation in the treatment of C. difficile infections? Wow, yes, there was actually quite a bit that was presented. Um, let's talk about a couple or a handful of these these projects that were presented because it's obviously things that have created a lot of uh, a lot of press and a lot of a lot of buzz. The first study was probably the one that gained the most attention, and that was a study from uh, Scandinavia that looked at five Norwegian hospitals, and they said, you know what? let's look at fecal microbiota transplant in patients who have an initial infection. And what they did was 
they designed a prospective randomized control trial involving five separate hospitals where patients with an initial infection were randomized to either receive 10 days of oral metronidazole 503 times daily or fecal transplant. And the fecal transplant was administered via a 60 milliliter or 60 cc enema. Overall, they assessed the patients over 70 days. So again, we were talking in the first segment about follow-up and recurrence rates. 70 days equals a two-month follow-up after the 10-day treatment period with the metronidazole. They did the study from February of 2015 through September of 2017, and they included 20 patients. Interestingly enough, over the 70-day follow-up, the fecal transplant group had a 56% response rate, whereas the antibiotic or the metronidazole group had a 40% response rate. This did not, did not achieve statistical significance. However, the fecal transplants were well tolerated and there were no serious adverse events in either group. So what makes this study important is that A, it was the first prospective that looked at fecal microbiota transplantation versus a quote-unquote standard of care antimicrobial for initial infection. Secondly, though, there were a couple of weaknesses with this. Obviously, 20 patients is not a large study. Metronidazole, through the most recent Infectious Disease Society of America guidelines, has been largely abandoned as a treatment. So really what this did was this planted the seeds for hopefully a larger trial where fecal microbiota transplant is compared against either vancomycin or fidaxomycin. Finally, we have to also contextualize the response rate. The response rate in the fecal transplant group was 56%. That's relatively low because what we typically quote for fecal transplant effectiveness in a group that's had multiple recurrences of C. difficile is higher than 90%, usually 92 or 93%. So we have to say, why did only 56% of these patients respond? And on the other side, in the metronidazole group, only 40% responded. So this too is a relatively lower response rate than we would expect. So like I said, this is a study that really started to kick around ideas and hopefully will plant the seeds for a larger trial that looks at the ability of fecal transplant and the effectiveness of fecal transplant in patients with an initial infection. In another abstract, fecal transplant was looked at in individuals with inflammatory bowel disease. And this was a study that emanated from Sahil Khanna's lab and Racine Tariq at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And what they did was they just did a cohort study looking at patients with inflammatory bowel disease that had multiply recurrent C. difficile who got a fecal transplant between August of 2012 and January of 2017. Overall, they looked at 145 patients who, were, who had a median age of 46, so this is a younger population than we typically see with fecal transplant. And importantly, they also considered what medications these individuals were on. 39.3% were on steroids. A similar percentage were on biological agents, adalimumab and infliximab, which we've, we discussed in the first segment, also suppressed your inflammatory response, and 24.8% were on immune modulators. The overall efficacy for fecal transplant in an inflammatory bowel disease population was about 80%. In those that had a history of C. difficile infection, specific inflammatory bowel disease subtypes, use of steroids, immune modulators, or biologics, or the presence of inflammatory bowel disease actually had no effect on the efficacy of fecal transplant. So what this study showed is that, again, the patients with inflammatory bowel disease, similar to the epidemiologic study that we discussed before, 
have a lower efficacy rate of fecal transplant because this was 80% compared with usually higher 90 to 95%. But also some of these risk factors for failure of the fecal transplant were not present in these patients with inflammatory bowel disease. So patients with inflammatory bowel disease, before they get a fecal transplant to treat their C. difficile infection, need to be educated that there's a chance that a higher chance that they're going to not respond as vigorously than the general population. And also some of the modifiable risk factors that we associate with fecal transplant failure are less modifiable in these patients because they have less of an impact. From the same group, though, they looked broadly at fecal transplants in a separate abstract and looked at risk factors that are associated with poor outcome. They looked from January 2013 through November 2017, and they did in this study, it was actually a meta-analysis. Eight separate studies included 1,981 patients. And overall, the fecal transplant failure within those studies was 16.2%, with a follow-up ranging anywhere from two months to about 35 months. Importantly, the risk factors associated with poor outcome include non-C. difficile infection antibiotics, the presence of inflammatory bowel disease, poor quality of bowel preparation, a hospitalization related to C. difficile prior to fecal transplant, and inpatient fecal transplant. Also importantly, age, female gender, severe C. difficile infection, and immune compromise status were not associated with increased risk of fecal transplant failure. So what we're talking about here and what we're thinking about here are prior to the fecal transplant, who is going to be less impacted by the fecal transplant? Who is going to be less likely to respond? And what we have to focus on are the modifiable risk factors, specifically non-C. difficile infection antibiotics and poor quality of bowel preparation. These are things that as clinicians and as patients, we can try to minimize or improve to enhance the outcomes of patients undergoing a fecal transplant. The other things, such as inflammatory bowel disease, a recent hospitalization, or an inpatient fecal transplant, we can't modify those, but we can certainly educate patients that those risk factors will leave them at slightly increased risk for failure of the fecal transplant. Absolutely. I think that there are many very important points that Dr. Forrestad made, uh, particularly in the context of inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, So one very important point is patients need to be treated, even though the medications that we use for inflammatory bowel disease may um, target the immune system, still the patients do better if their inflammatory bowel disease is well-controlled and they will respond to the treatment of C. diff better if their inflammatory bowel disease is well-controlled. Also, secondly, this is something that we, we didn't mention before, but the patients who have inflammatory bowel disease, we really should not treat them with metronidazole. Vancomycin is a better treatment for them. And from some um, studies that were presented in DW, we also learned that a longer course of vancomycin is better than a short course of vancomycin in those particular patients, simply because they have a more challenging infection because they have an underlying inflammatory disorder. And now we learned also from Dr. Feuerstadt that their response to fecal transplant is not as um, good as the response of a patient who does not have inflammatory bowel disease. Exactly. Well, Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt, we thank you so much for providing this updated information. Very interesting, very impressive numbers and a lot of good information that 
um, you know, is just coming to light. So we thank you so much again for providing this. We're going to pause right now for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing C. diff infection data, Digestive Disease Week 2018, and current clinical trials with our guests, Dr. Katerina Onetto and Dr. Paul Feuerstadt. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org, and we'll see you in November. The CDIF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDIF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDIF Foundation at 1-844-4-CDIF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. It is a pleasure to reintroduce our guests, Dr. Katarina Onetto and Dr. Paul Feuerstadt, joining us today to discuss C. diff infection data, Digestive Disease Week 2018, and current clinical trials. Welcome back to the program, doctors. Thank you for having us. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, (laughs) Doctors, it is interesting um, discussing some of the research that was presented at DDW. And But there are also many prospective trials being conducted considering vaccines and treatments for C. difficile infections. Dr. Feuerstadt, would you like to take this moment and explain um, the active trials and working towards a vaccination to prevent C. difficile infections? Sure. There, there's actually one major trial that's going on right now. It's called the Pfizer-Clover vaccine trial. And this is obviously an investigational vaccine that's targeting adults 50 and over who are at risk for getting C. difficile infection. This trial is what we call a prospective placebo-controlled randomized trial. What that means is that people who enroll in the trial will either receive a placebo, an inert substance, or a substance that has no uh, efficacy or ability to, to prevent C. difficile, or they'll receive the active vaccine. This is a phase three trial, which means that it's gone through a number of trials before showing that it's A, safe, and that B, seems to be an effective way to prevent C. difficile infection. Within this large trial that's currently going on, it's expected that they're going to enroll 15,776 participants worldwide. And the vaccination is three separate injections over a fixed time period. Importantly, who they're including are individuals who are at risk for future C. difficile infection, those who either received antibiotics in the previous 12 weeks or individuals who were hospitalized within the previous couple of months. Importantly, though, are the exclusion criteria, who is not eligible. And patients who aren't eligible are those who've either tried to have an investigational vaccine from a different company, individuals who had C. difficile before, patients with metastatic cancer or or chronic kidney disease, immune deficiency, or corticosteroids, anybody who's had a small or large bowel resection. The endpoint of the study or what they're looking to assess is the incidence, how often C. difficile happens over the course of three years, either in the group that received the active vaccine or the group that received a placebo. And ultimately, really who might benefit from a vaccine, this specific type of vaccine, are not people who've had C. difficile before. This is a way of preventing the infection in individuals who have no history of it. So what are the risk factors we need to think about for those sorts of patients is age over 65, female gender, any sort of immune compromise, chronic kidney disease, HIV, inflammatory bowel disease, inflammatory bowel disease on a biological medication, acid suppressive medications in terms of histamine blockers and proton pump inhibitors, other antibiotics for other indications, as well as individuals who spend significant amounts of time either in a skilled nursing facility or a healthcare environment. Ultimately, if this trial shows that the Pfizer vaccine is effective, then we would think about the risk factors that I just explained and then inoculate or vaccinate those individuals to avoid the infection in the first place. So this is a really exciting concept for primary prevention of C. difficile. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Feuerstadt. Dr. Onetto, are there any active trials considering a novel 
antibiotic to treat C. difficile infections? Yes. Uh, currently, we do have pretty good options for patients who have a, a Clostridium difficile infection, uh, but the main problem keeps, uh, is still recurrence. There is a medication, um, a medication called ritinidazole, and that drug is being studied. They, they had good outcomes in the phase two trial showing that when compared to vancomycin, that drug had, uh, was more effective and resulted in fewer recurrences, and that, that drug is going, going to be studied now in a phase three. That's so great. What, what's really interesting about ridinilazole is the is the mechanism. It's similar to fidaxomycin in that it has a very narrow spectrum. So it treats C. difficile and C. difficile alone, but it allows the other healthy bacteria that might be depleted to regrow. So the theory behind it, similar to fidaxomycin, is that ridinilazole will be effective for initial treatment, but will be associated with decreased recurrences. And in theory, this is even a narrower spectrum than fidaxomycin, so it should be associated with less recurrences. So in theory, if we were to use this product, if, it, if all comes true based on the previous data, initially in infections, those patients will be much less likely to get a recurrence in the first place and we'll be breaking that cycle that patients get stuck in. Exactly. So one has to remember that Clostridium difficile is not like a regular infection. It is an infection, but it also occurs in an environment where the rest of the microbiome is undermined. So the idea is to try to kill the C. diff with as little collateral damage as possible, and that's what this drug is meant to, meant to do. We'll see how, you know, what the outcome is. Wonderful. And thank you both for sharing the information there. And Dr. Feuerstadt, are there any active trials assessing formulations, fecal microbiota transplantation products being produced by pharmaceutical companies? Yes, this is a really exciting area of active research in, in 2018. Um, there are a handful of trials. The first one that I want to talk about is a trial by a company called Rebiotics. Rebiotics is a company based in, in Minnesota. And they have a product called RBX2660. Plainly stated, this is a fecal transplant that's given via enema. And in the phase one and phase two prior trials, has shown very nice safety and efficacy to break the C. difficile cycle. This trial is a prospective, multi-center, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial. And it's going to include about 270 patients who've had at least a, a couple of recurrences previously, and they failed medical therapy previously. The follow-up for the study is eight weeks. So again, going back to the follow-up time for recurrence, this was an eight-week follow-up within this trial. Importantly within this trial, as I said before, patients have to have active C. difficile, so they have to have several loose stools in a 24-hour period with a positive stool assay. Very importantly, though, who's excluded from this trial are those patients with either inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome. Those patients usually already have chronic diarrhea, and therefore, that can confound the results. So this trial is a very clean trial in that they're trying to isolate away those patients and compare a placebo with the RBX2660. Alternatively, another trial that's going on right now is the series trial. Series has something called SER109, which is an oral form of a fecal transplant, four capsules given on three consecutive days. And this trial also is a multi-center, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled, meaning patients either receive placebo 
or they receive the active treatment. Of course, they have to have active diagnosis of C. difficile with liquid stools. About 320 patients are expected to be enrolled in the trial, and the follow-up in this trial was eight weeks as well. What differentiates this trial from the Rebiotics trial is this trial actually allows patients who have inflammatory bowel disease to participate so long as they have not had active symptoms in the past three months. They also could never have any major gastrointestinal surgery. If one looks up online about the history of this product, SCR109, they would see that the primary efficacy endpoint in the phase two trial was not met. However, that does not reflect the efficacy of the treatment, we believe, because there was a flaw in the study design in the phase two trial where patients who had irritable bowel syndrome and were colonized with C. difficile were believed to have been included. This is why the FDA said it was safe and potentially efficacious for them to proceed ahead to the phase three trial with this oral formulation. It is really important to realize that with these products that we're talking about, these fecal transplant products that are produced by pharmaceutical companies, they do differ from fecal transplants that Dr. Onetto and, and I do in our offices or did in our offices. I still perform fecal transplants in a little bit of an old-fashioned way. I still screen donors, and I screen them for hepatitis A, B, C, HIV, and syphilis, as well as a number of other stool studies, including C. difficile. And then if, they, if they're clear of those things and they're clear of a medical history that I take for risk factors for transcribing illness from the donor to the recipient, then I allow them to donate. These products are much cleaner. These products have been screened much more vigorously. And of course, they have safety and efficacy data behind them. So patients enrolling in these studies can be comfortable that the FDA has reviewed these products and the FDA is comfortable with these products going through large-scale trials. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Forrestad. And Dr. Onetto, are there any other trials that are, you are aware of that are um, of considering FMT to treat C. difficile infections? Yes. As a matter of fact, well, Dr. Forrestad and I are involved in these trials. Uh, we're also enrolling patients not only in uh, this rebiotics trial and the series trial, but also in something that's called the Finch trial. This is a little bit similar to rebiotics in the sense that the product that they're using is what's called a full-spectrum microbiota product, meaning it is very similar to the actual stool. It's just being, it's being processed, but it's different from uh, rebiotics in the sense that it uses capsules instead of enema. So rebiotics is an enema trial. Uh, series is a capsules trial. Uh, I think that maybe patients will find it attractive in the sense that patients, generally speaking, prefer to take capsules. But so far, we have seen that the lower approach, the colonoscopic approach, is very successful in treating uh, Clostridium difficile with fecal transplant. Um, we are very excited, of course, about all these options. And I think that in the next few years, we will hopefully have the ability to treat C. diff and prevent its recurrence, not just by killing the bacterium, but also by restoring the microbiota, which is really the goal in all these trials. Exactly. So what, what's interesting about, about these trials is obviously the rebiotics formulation is an enema formulation, and the FINT and the series formulation are both uh, oral formulations, and we believe that the, the lower, at least the data previously have shown that this lower approach, either colonoscopic or enema, has higher efficacy. But it'll be interesting to see what these trials show in a prospective manner with large study groups. Okay, exactly. And thank you so much, Dr. Onetto and Dr. Feuerstadt, for joining us today. We understand that you're departing now, and we thank you for your input and for joining us today on Cedar Spores and More. 
We are grateful for your dedication in medicine, gastroenterology, research and development, leading students to the fountain of knowledge through academics and for making a difference in patients' lives. We look forward to having you back again very soon. And at this time, we're going to pause for commercial break. When we return, we will be discussing the importance of clinical trial participation with our guest, Kathy Bischoff. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org and we'll see you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to introduce our next guest, Kathy Bischoff, a C. diff survivor, joining us today to discuss the importance of clinical trial participation. Welcome to the program, Kathy. 
Good afternoon, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us here on Seed of Spores and More. Kathy, we really want to know, um, you're a C. diff survivor, and we know you had a long bout of C. diff infection. Um, can you explain to our listeners why it's so important for patients to consider participating in clinical trials that are in progress? I would be glad to, Nancy. I truly believe that I owe my life to you, to the C. diff Foundation, and to a clinical trial. After eight reoccurrences of C. diff, All conventional treatments had failed, and my doctors were at a loss. I was sick, I was frightened, and I began advocating on my own behalf. I googled the C. diff foundation and found a myriad of information. The website is amazing, and I called into one of your telephone support sessions, and I found so many of the answers that I was looking for. And along with those answers, Nancy, was information on clinical trials. I most certainly was an advocate for that at the time as everything else had failed. So I went to the CDC's website and I connected with a doctor and a trial doctor and administrator in St. Louis, Missouri. Now that was five hours from my home, but a trip that I felt was well worth taking. I was supplied with abundant information. I then applied as a candidate, and gratefully, I was accepted. This was an opportunity for me to succeed where all other options had failed. The administrator had a high level of of training, was very compassionate, and also understanding. They were so supportive, and they were always in touch with me. In May of 2016, they gave me four pills. And I fondly refer to them as my, get, my magic gut bugs. And I have Nancy remain C. diff free through the remainder of the clinical trial period. And I am happy to say that I am C. diff free today. Uh, that's about two and a half years later. Now, because of this clinical trial, I have my life back. I am able to do things I was unable to do before to enjoy my husband, my retirement, our little dog, taking trips. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that I was not able to accomplish for all the time that I had CDIF. Nancy, I think clinical trials are so vitally important to people like me. And I applaud and am forever grateful to the research and the continued fight to cure, control, and eradicate this horrific infection. You know, it does claim thousands of lives every year. And without my participation in this clinical trial, Nancy, I truly believe that I would have been one of them. Well, Kathy, all we can say is we're so glad that you took that step and chose to contact the organizations who are offering clinical trials in their treatment of C. diff infections and prevention of recurrent C. diff infections back in May 2016. And we can't thank you enough for uh, sharing your information uh, with the listeners, uh, our global listeners today. Kathy, do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share um, and, you know, um, suggest to our global listeners who can learn more about cl- clinical trials that are in progress? Nancy, I certainly do. I was not even aware of C. diff when I got it. 
and the explanation of what it was was very vague. I was left in the dark. My physicians were in the dark. They gave me the conventional treatments. They failed. My course did not look shiny at all until I finally advocated on my own behalf. And on your website, the CEDA Foundation's website, I found information on clinical trials. I had no idea that there were trials out there for C. diff infected folks. So, yes, I would encourage anyone out there listening, if you have any doubt as to the impact that you can make on your life and the life of others, please, please look into, some, into clinical trials. They do so much for so many. And as I say, had it not been for that clinical trial, I would not be here today. So I am a great advocate for people looking out for themselves, for advocating for themselves, and for trying things that research and researchers and developers are working very, very hard to put together and to get some sort of infection prevention and control. And for people like myself, where everything else had failed and I did not have a microbiome that was healthy enough to recover on its own, this clinical trial meant absolutely everything to me. Exactly. And Kathy, another thing too, uh, our listeners can go online and also um, look under for the resources information on clinical trials that can be found at clinicaltrials.gov. That's clinicaltrials.gov. And Kathy, we thank you again for joining us today on CDIP Sports and More. And we're so grateful for the information you provided. Thank you. You're welcome, Nancy. It was my pleasure and God bless. Thank you, you too. And at this time, the members of the CDIF Foundation wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe that are dedicated to improving health. The organizations and professionals researching and developing new products addressing C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. difficile infection and recurrent C. difficile infection clinical trials in progress, as Kathy mentioned, please visit the C. Diff Foundation's website, C. Diff Foundation. And I'll click on the tab of Clinical Trials in Progress to please help them help you to help others. We thank Synthetic Biologics for being a diamond sponsor of the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo, taking place November 8th and 9th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the Embassy Suites Philadelphia Airport Hotel. And we are grateful for all of the corporate exhibiting sponsors partnering with the C. diff Foundation and whose services and products are in alignment with their global mission. Thank you for your more in, thank you, and for more information to register and to um, learn more about the conference, please visit the cdifoundation.org uh, for the website. We're grateful for the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference and for the CDF community industry leaders who will be exhibiting and sharing their products and services focused on healthcare-acquired infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and diagnostics. We look forward to learning more together with you in November. We send our get well wishes to all patients being treated for and recovering from a C. difficile infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 